Welcome to the 16th episode of PH Pod, a podcast brought to you by the Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post, which informs and inflects the broader conversation on health and social justice. I'm Rubina Virocone. Today, we are joined by Dr. Heather Krasna. She's the Assistant Dean of Career Services at Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. Heather is the author of two books, Jobs That Matter, Find a Stable, Fulfilling Career in Public Service, and her most recent, 101 Plus Careers in Public Health. Heather, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I'm a current public health student, and I feel that I'm experiencing what many public health students are experiencing right now in their job search, which is tyranny of choice. Public health is a broad field, and it's fantastic that there's many ways to make a difference. But with so many options, it's often difficult to choose a job. So Heather, where is a good place to start in the public health job search? What a great question. You kind of hit the nail on the head by talking about choice, I usually start with any student by asking them to first reflect on their prior experience, which could include previous internships, jobs, volunteering, class projects, and you can go as far back as you like. Maybe there was something you did even in high school that had an impact on you. And to start almost writing down, um, doing some narrative um, reflection, writing some stories for yourself about experiences you've had where you really felt a sense of achievement and where you felt you were using skills that maybe came easily to you or you almost were in a flow state where you lost track of time because you were so engaged in the project or the activity. And then after doing that type of reflection, you can start to look for themes Some of our public health students have some qualitative research methods training. They can do their own thematic analysis, look for repeated words or key terms that show up in your own experience. You might start to notice, you know what, every time I was really engaged in a really nice achievement uh, project, I was writing something or I was coming up with new ideas or guess what, I was talking to people. I really think that I need to be able to talk to people to be happy. That just gets you started. Now, of course, you also have people who maybe just don't have as much experience, so they don't have as much to reflect on. So that's where it's really helpful to work with a career specialist. If you have a career services office, you can also find a lot of nice career assessments online for free. Um, One of the ones that I like is from a website called onetonline.org. There's a very simple career assessment called My Next Move. And it gives you a sense of your favorite skills. And then once you have a sense of what is interesting to you, what skills you like to use, then you have to map out two other factors. There's sort of three factors in any career. There's what you actually do all day. So skills you use, skills you enjoy using, skills you want to maybe expand on. The second is the mission. So for many students in public health and other public health professionals, The reason they're excited about public health is that there might be a particular population or an issue or a specific health condition uh, that is really compelling to them, that uh, makes them even upset. Like, why is it that there is this issue where children in the South Bronx have more asthma than, than they should? So let's look at the root cause of that. 
there might be some issue like that that really drives you. And then you want to look at which organizations work on that issue and where could you use those favorite skills for an organization that also matches your passion. Now, there's one more factor. And I find that sometimes career assessments forget to include this really important factor. That factor is lifestyle. And so that includes how much money are you going to get paid? Um, do you get reasonable work-life balance? What is the culture of the organization? What kind of benefits do they offer? What is the job security? These are all the things that are very important. And I will say that as you move on in your life, sometimes that one last factor is the one that causes you to move to a different job. So the other ones might be pretty stable. Like, hey, you know what? I like to code in SAS and SPSS. I could do that all day. I don't really care as much about the other factors. But as you move on in life, you're like, you know what? I really need to leave work at five o'clock every day. I really can't have this long hours type of work anymore. So you have to start mapping these things out. Then you go out and explore and research what is out there that matches these three variables, the skills, the mission, and the lifestyle. And there's a lot of really great ways to do that research. But in a nutshell, I would start, you certainly read the 101 plus careers but anyway, that's a good place to start because it gives you all the information to get grounded. But you also have to do your own research, talking to alumni and others who have careers that look exciting to you just to find out. So it sounds cool to be an epidemiologist. That sounds neat. But what do you actually do all day long? And do you like it? And what are the challenges about it? So I know that that's a lot, but that gives you kind of almost the full grounding of how do you start? And it's a lot about reflecting first and then going out and exploring. The challenge a lot of people have is that this is almost like a multiple choice test with like 30 possible choices, but the answer is usually all of the above, meaning any yeah. of these choices would probably be perfectly great. Like actually they would check off all the boxes and match all your requirements. So that does make it tricky when there's actually multiple options that would be equally great. So um, sometimes it's almost a matter of chance, which, which place you start out, but that's not gonna dictate you know, the rest of your career forever. So just don't be too stressed that there's so many choices. That's the other thing, don't be stressed about it because it will work out eventually, if not in the short run, short run or long run, you'll land in the perfect place eventually. Awesome, thank you so much. That was super helpful. I love that reflection is at the top and then comes the trifecta of skills, mission and lifestyle. Also appreciate the emphasis on lifestyle because that leads to mental health, right? Um, yes. So for our second question, and you've listed a few, but are there any other specific resources that public health students might find useful in their job search? Absolutely, yeah. So I would probably, and I'm biased because I've worked in higher ed career services for a really long time, but I would always start out by seeing if you have good career services, go check out the career resources in your school. And I know actually that because it's an incredibly small world, the people who do career services in public health, I know that the folks at, at BU especially are, are fantastic. Um, a lot of schools of public health have their own office of career services or, or something similar. And so for sure, that's the, the low-hanging fruit, right? Those are the folks whose job is to help you get employment and to figure out what to do with your life. So start there for sure. There's a lot of other really nice resources. Um, I would say there's some that are very specific for public health. There's several job boards that are good for public health. There's publichealthjobs.org, which is hosted by um, the ASPPH, the Association of Schools and Programs of Public Health, 
There's several others that are unique for public health. And then there's professional associations. An obvious one is American Public Health Association. And then there's several other ones. If you're interested in different particular interests or issues, you can think about joining these associations or going to conferences to explore different careers. I also like some of the more generic resources. I am not a salesperson for LinkedIn.com at all. I have some like a love-hate relationship a little bit with that company, <laughs> but as a career coach, I would say, you know, go-to resource is LinkedIn because it's fantastic for career research. It's great for networking. It's great for employer research. If you're doing that, um, let's say you did that first step of figuring out what organizations are interesting to you, you can go right to LinkedIn and see if you already know anybody in one of these organizations, or maybe you know someone who knows someone in one of your favorite places, or there's alumni there from your school. So those are all really good resources. There's other resources like even Twitter. I I, I used to not really know what to do with Twitter, but actually- I know, we're bringing, some, bringing Twitter back. It's actually, yeah, you know, and I know there's Instagram and all the other things, and I'm like a Gen Xer, and so I have to like learn these things each time, but- but Twitter is actually pretty interesting because I've actually found sometimes that pretty high level or famous people will be tweeting and you could reply to one of their tweets and then they'll retweet it. And it's just somehow it, you can more directly contact people sometimes on that platform. It's also really great for staying on top of the latest trends and news and things like that. I also wanna say one other thing about resources. Um, uh, I know a lot of students are allergic to networking and are are just like, they just break out in hives when you talk about networking. So I just want to say that that is actually one of the key resources or key activities for career exploration and for job search. So I like to reframe it as not so much, you're not selling yourself in the networking, really you're just listening to people and doing, it's almost like, again, key informant interviews if you're one of those qual researchers. <laughs> so you're listening to people in a semi-structured interview setting and you're also building rapport with people so that you have a community of people who will help you later on in your job search. So I would just say, you know, think of it as partly research and partly sharing um, a common interest in an area that you're passionate about with another person. And I just have to say some of the best contacts that I've made have been just completely kind of unsolicited, shameless fangirl uh, approaches to famous people. So I can share that um, I've reached out to people where I've read their articles and it was an amazing article and just because I'm passionate about this very nerdy topic that I wrote my PhD about, my doctoral dissertation about, I just wrote to the person, I read your article and I'd love to just connect and talk to you. And pretty much every single person has said yes and they might be your colleague one day. So just, you know, shameless, uh, it's not even self-promotion. It's just shameless um, being a fan of the other person. And you'd be surprised yeah. who writes back to you. I think that's great advice in terms of networking because I know as a student, you feel like I'm the lowly student who just, you know, hasn't done much. I just have a lot of loans and minimal sleep, right? But mm -hmm. something I found in public health, being surrounded by people that are so passionate in their work is that people love talking about their work and they get passionate when someone else is passionate. Um, so I love the idea of reaching out to them because why not? So we have another question. 
And this question is, what tips do you have for students to figure out a company's values? And how do you see if they align with your own? Yeah, that's a really important question. So it's probably a little easier to do this than it used to be because we have glassdoor.com. And I also just have to say, you always have to take things with a grain of salt because sometimes people go to Glassdoor and they write complaints after maybe they were fired or something like that. So, you know, don't believe everything you read there, but if there's big consensus in these reviews that you see on a website like that, sometimes there's some truth in it. And so just, you know, don't discard that. So that's one way is, is to look at reviews on websites like glassdoor.com. There's also really some interesting things that you can find out by doing a little more detective work. And when you read a job description and it has certain specific buzzwords or keywords in it, that can sometimes be a code for you to realize that, you know, whether this is a fit for you or not. And a couple examples might be, you know, work hard, play hard. Okay, does this organization expect that you're gonna work really long hours? I mean, usually it's pretty subtle. It wouldn't usually be extremely direct, but sometimes even there's certain buzzwords like, um, I, I often see in a job description that they are talking about scaling impact, you know, um, ability to work under very minimal supervision and take initiative. Well, tell me more. What does that mean exactly? Does that mean that you're, there's not a supervisor really there? Like you're gonna have to figure this out yourself. So I always look a little deeper. Sometimes I read too much into it, but sometimes you can learn from the actual job description and certainly the company website and how they portray themselves is actually a thing that might be helpful. And then the golden um, opportunity, or the, the I would say the gold standard way is to do those informational interviews um, because you can find out a lot about those organizations. There's a few other things you can do that are also subtle. Like if you look at people who work in that organization and you notice that it seems like no one stays there more than a year or two, that's also potentially a red flag. One last idea. Okay, before I forget about this. Um, Nonprofit organizations, if you're looking at a nonprofit, they're required to file a 990 tax return. This sounds like the most boring document on the planet, right? However, you can find it for free easily on the IRS website. If you look around, there's this sort of database of all the 990 tax, tax returns of every nonprofit, 501c3 in the country. And you know what you can find out on there? You can find out the salary of the highest paid people by name. You can also find out whether the revenue has been going up or down over the last several years. You can see how much they spend on contractors and consultants. You can see how much they spend on salaries and then do some math to figure out what the average salary might be for each staff member. There's a lot in there actually. And it's really intriguing, especially when you are, you know, students are worried, like maybe I'll never make enough money as a nonprofit. I'm like, oh really? Let's look at the tax return and see how much that executive director is making. Maybe you shouldn't be worried, actually. One day you'll be that executive director. So um feel like we're public health FBI agents finding all the information. Well, you're trained on research. Use it for your own career, right? Like That's you've got to use these same skills that you got from all your training and just repurpose it for um, something that benefits you. It's the same with, by the way, negotiation, right? People are like, oh, I don't want to negotiate, you know, or they're worried that they might sort of um, harm the relationship with the employer. I'm like, you negotiate and advocate for other people all the time. How often is it in your field in public health that you are 
kind of lobbying and advocating for uh, uh, an organization, a community, a population, an issue, you got to use those skills for your own self. Sometimes you're you you are worthy of you know you know fair compensation for what you do. So use those same skills and just know that um, you know you have to tweak them a bit when it's for yourself. But you know those those skills are important and you can use them for yourself too. That's great advice. And you mentioned that interviews are the gold standard. How would students go about initiating those interviews? Yeah, so you know how you briefly mentioned before that you feel, and I hope I'm not saying this wrong, that you feel like maybe the lonely student who doesn't have a lot of experience. Well, you know what? I think that's verbatim what I said, actually. I think it might be what you said. Well, guess what? Like, let's visualize for five seconds that you are, in, you know, here you are in, let's say you're in grad school and some lowly sophomore from wherever you went for undergraduate school reaches out to you and they say, oh my gosh, you're, you're going to grad school in public health. It's so amazing and interesting. Can you please give me some, you know, share some, some advice for me? I'm a lowly sophomore. And I just look up to you so much and admire what you do. Wouldn't you share some, wouldn't you just take pity on that poor sophomore and like take, you know, at least 15, <laughs> 20 minutes and like shed light on what public health is and what grad school is. And oh, I, of course, of course, of course you I would, pick right? them up on my back and take them with me. Like, come on. Of course, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So guess what? That natural instinct to help somebody who is sort of going through the process that you yourself went through only a couple years ago is exactly what works in your favor as a student, because everybody likes to help a student. It's, it's like a very flattering moment if someone says, oh, I've always wanted to do X, Y, Z, and I see that you're doing that, and you know, we went to the same school. I would drop everything and talk to that person just because it's like, you know, it makes you feel good. You're helping another person. You have empathy because you've been through this before. You even went to the same school that adds more empathy, but you could also just randomly contact people but for a specific reason, you know, it's an organization you really like, um, you admire the person's career, maybe they made an interesting career move that you're thinking about making. And you just, um, you know, the initial contact could be over LinkedIn. Um, it could be, if you have an alumni director, you could just write an email, or if you get the person's email, you could just directly write to them. And it should be a short and sweet message where you basically start out with who am I? So I am a second year, Boston University School of Public Health, you know, health policy student um, with a focus on XYZ. And I saw you in the alumni directory. So you're starting out by saying, you know, hey, here's who I am. Here's why I'm contacting you. Here's how I got your information. I am not a random stalker, right? You can be okay with talking to me. And then you, you explain why you're reaching out. I noticed that you've worked at UNICEF as well as the WHO. Both of these organizations are of huge interest to me, and I would love to learn more about your experience there. That's what you're like, what's the reasoning why? And then the third thing you say is a question, and it's a specific concrete question. Would you be willing to speak with me for 20 or 30 minutes anytime in the next three weeks? I'm available every Thursday all day. I'm available Fridays from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern time. I'm glad to set up a Zoom call. Some people feel like, oh, they asked a question, I guess I should reply. You have to be prepared. Some people won't respond. Don't take it personally. Um, you can try to follow up once or twice. 
Um, but be very nice about it. You have to be super nice to these people. They're volunteering their time. After you, you have your meeting, you ask these questions, thank them profusely. And then you say, send a thank you email. And then every few, like maybe every other month, you want to send them a little note. How is everything going? I saw your organization just received an award for XYZ. I'm finalizing my thesis, my capstone on the topic of XYZ, which is related to your study on ABC. I would love to just check in. Now you know somebody at UNICEF or whatever it is. And maybe that person will remember you when a job opens up and actually send it to you. And mm -hmm. you may also discover there's a job posting at that organization. And now you know someone there. And I would say before you apply, reach out to that person to say, hey, it was wonderful speaking with you back in November. And I see that there's now a program analyst position available. Would it be okay if I mentioned your name in my application? Can I use you as not, you're not, not asking them to write a letter of recommendation. You're just asking if I can mention in the cover letter that you've spoken to that person. So the first sentence of your letter is, after speaking with fellow alum so-and-so who works at UNICEF, I'm even more excited to apply for the position of ABC. So this season's theme is activism. And you know, there's been emergence and reemergence of a lot of social movements recently. And I think students are really passionate about social justice at this moment and want to pursue careers um, that really embody advocacy and activism. So what are the different ways advocacy and activism can look like in the workplace? So how can this look in the workplace? There's a lot of different ways I could imagine this going. So, you know, public health students may find that there are jobs actually that are either in policy advocacy, there can be policy analysis, there's legislative work, there's students who go on and work for an elected official or a political party or um, actually work in um, certain government agencies. So it could be as direct as, you know, taking some time if there's a particular public health issue um, that is really important, like funding for your local health department could be something that you push for, whatever it may be. Um, and speaking to an elected official about that or grouping together with others who share that passionate interest and um, trying to organize a visit to elected officials. It could be that you are instead um, doing more direct action where you are working with community members who are directly impacted by a health issue, a public health problem, a law. It could be um, petitions. So there's a lot of ways that this could look. It could be your actual job is advocacy and organizing or even lobbying. And it could also be more subtle where you are working within, let's say, a, your local health department and you see that there's something that could be improved in um, a program that, that they've skipped something that they should have done or that maybe um, they haven't really communicated with um, the different communities that need to, to be part of the solution to a problem. And you can raise your hand internally and say, hey, um, what if we did A, B, and C? And that's a type of advocacy, even though you're not necessarily changing a law, you might be able to change how a program is structured or how it's communicated so that it's more effective. And that can be a type of advocacy if you yeah. look at it in the big so picture. Activism in the sense that you're promoting health equity within your own sphere and your role. Exactly. We will see that there's going to be an expansion of the epidemic intelligence service at the CDC, which is looking more for like PhDs and MDs and so on. But everything in between, there's going to be some more hiring. 
And when you have new people coming in and even to shift the culture of an organization, because there's a group of new folks that all have maybe a different, a different perspective. And I, I can, I'm hoping that there will be a bit of a shift with brand new ideas, brand new folks who are going to be advocating from within to just, you know, revitalize and replenish the public health infrastructure. So there is a bill called HR 3297, which is um, a house bill called the Public Health Workforce Loan Repayment Act. The concept of it is that people with a public health degree and related fields can get a special loan repayment. It, it is interesting because if you go all the way back to the, Amer the, um, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, well, guess what? I looked at that and it's like 900 pages of regulation. Somewhere in there, there is a line <laughs> page, item. Page 899. <laughs> really? Did you look? Yeah, probably at the very last page. You can search for keywords in that document. So I found this loan repayment piece and it actually says there will be a loan repayment program for public health students who work in public health agencies like government, like local and state health departments. It was never funded. It's so annoying, right? Like there is actually already a law that says you should get loan repayment. There's just not, um, it was never um, appropriated. So my suggestion, and I don't want to tell anyone, you know, exactly what to do, but I would start to think about who your senator is and consider saying to them, hey, I noticed that there's this bill being floated around called the Prevent Pandemics Act, and it mentions public health student loan repayment. That's really important to me, and here's why. I think that's fantastic advice and a great way for public health students to be activists. This last question, in public health writing and communications, we try to use short sentences to clearly convey our message to the public. Heather, when it comes to advice for finding jobs in public health, what's your short sentence? I, I would just say it's the best job market for public health graduates for all of the most tragic reasons. PHPOD features conversations with public health influencers. We cover topics that may be familiar and sometimes uncomfortable. This podcast series is brought to you by the Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post, which informs and inflects the broader conversation on health and social justice. Every day we feature new articles about the state of the health of the population. Join the conversation by following us on social media and by subscribing to the PHP Friday Roundup to receive our stories of the week delivered directly to your inbox by visiting publichealthpost.org.